Genesis 3, if we go there. Genesis 3. I, I gave you a little overview and took you further than I wanted, and just that... And then I... <laughs> In preparing what I thought I might say on Sunday morning, then I didn't say it, but uh, the whole thing about strange gods, you know, that he's like, oh, you're serving these people that are strange gods. They were going after and worshiping deity. They're, they're deities, they're the little g-gods, and it's the, again, the term Elohim, and just to kind of redefine that, <clears throat> again, we say angel as a generic term, that, that's a job that these spiritual beings have, um, Probably a better term that I was reminded of this week when I was doing some other study is that these are immortals. You know, men, men live and then we die. And we do live forever, either in eternity or in hell. Um, but these were made immortal. These beings were made to live forever. And we're going to see that some of them forfeit that, but uh, uh, they are in that realm. Now then, when we've been saved, we transform into that and then we become immortals. Once, once we repent and trust in him, we become sons of God and we are on the pathway to be immortal. We'll, we'll live with him. And, and I hope to get into that a little bit to help it make sense in this scheme of things as we're looking. When we left off the last time we were talking about Eden, the mountain of God, in Genesis 3.24, uh, we have Adam and Eve leaving. He said, so he drove out the man and he placed uh, at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So now they're outside, they're on the earth, um, that's not Eden-like, you know, Adam hadn't gotten to that job yet as far as reclaiming it. Um, but they leave and there's a cherubim that they can see, there's a flaming sword. I always wrestle with this, I don't know if the cherubim has the flaming sword or if the flaming sword's operating on itself, guarding it, I don't know. How do you guys see it? You ever read? Separate? Separate, like... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it's worded. The more I word, it's like there's a flaming sword there that's going back and forth. That, that kind of makes it cool. And then you got these cherubims that are there too, you know, to guard that. Again, this was wiped out at the flood, and uh, and then we see it again in the book of Revelation, Genesis chapter four. Uh, we have the story with Cain and Abel, and then we also have descendants as they go down, and they progress. Worse, there's a little bit of the wording in the King James that that, that hides some of this, but it says. King James in one area says that they begin to worship the Lord, and it's actually they begin to profane the Lord, because we know that they end all dying in the flood, you know, so they're not doing good, and so they, they go down. We have one who's you know, like, uh, what's his name there? Um, another guy, Lamech, who's like, oh, you know, I want to, I think it's his name, that wants to, I'll, I'll marry another woman, I'll, I'll get a couple of women, and boy, if he guarded and protected Cain from doing bad, he'll guard and protect me from being bad, and he just keeps on going, it goes from bad to worse. Uh, chapter 5, you have... Um, the generations, you know, from Adam up to Noah. And we've looked at that before and some of the things that are in that text, and I think that they're very exciting as far as showing that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin, and I'll reference that here in just a little bit. But you get the seventh from Adam, which is uh, verse 21. You have Enoch. So Genesis five twenty-one says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and beget Methuselah. Uh, let's see, verse uh, 22, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, he's the one guy that it's, you got to watch him on the quiz. You know, who's the, who's the oldest man who ever lived? That's just he's on the quiz go, right? Methuselah, right? But he died before his father. How's that? His dad didn't die. 
<laughs> so that, that's so it's usually like one of those trick quiz questions. You know, it's like Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived, yet he still died before his father because Enoch was translated, right? He's a type of the rapture. He is taken out of the world before the judgment um, of the flood. He avoids the judgment altogether. And so we look at him as a type of rapture, that, that God does that sometimes. He'll take people out of the way. Um, he's interesting in that, um, how many people have had that happen? One other one, right? Elijah. He's the only other one who does not die. And yet, so we have Enoch and Elijah. These guys are esteemed in Jewish history and the Jewish culture for this, as they should be. That's something, something we should all strive for, right? Walk with God. You never know. You can avoid death. That would be wonderful. Um, so he's a preacher. Uh, and he preaches. He's quoted in Jude. We'll look at that later uh, in Jude 14 and 15. Uh, but he has a son, and his son's named Methuselah. His name means... His death shall bring. And so as the preacher, as this prophet, he has a boy. And this boy is a clock. He's a time clock for the doomsday clock for when the world is going to be judged by a flood. Methuselah, his death shall bring. And so the prophecy was that the day that Methuselah died, or when Methuselah died, God would send the flood that would judge the world. And so here's your timepiece. In that, you understand God's long-suffering and God's grace. And because who's the longest person who ever lived? The oldest man. Methuselah. That tells us how long-suffering God is. What was it 969 years? You know, that, that, that he lives without dying. God's like, I'll prolong his days to give men chances, to give men time. So he, he does that. But it also makes you wonder, every time he caught a cold, you know, every time they're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It makes you wonder how his health was. But, uh, but when he dies, that same year the flood comes. And so that's true. Um, he has a boy, and his name, uh, verse 25, says, And Methuselah lived uh, 187 years, and he begat Lamech. Lamech, his name means the despairing. Uh, you think, man, why? You know, it's like, um, well, one, your dad is getting older. <laughs> he has you at, what, 187 there? And uh, when he dies, the world's going to be judged. And so it's, it's desperate times. It's getting desperate. He's the despairing. Uh, here, you're born. You're probably not going to live as long as your dad, you know, because when your dad dies, uh, the world's going to be judged. And so you have that, and then you're going to have a kid, and they're going to have a kid, and you're hoping, you don't know when this is going to happen, you know, but they lived in these long ages, which I found it interesting. It was uh, two weeks ago, there's a science article that said, we're pretty sure that by the genetics that we can find in mankind that man could live Almost up to a thousand years. There was some scientist putting that out there. I'm like, oh, that's funny. My Bible said that all along. You know, that when things were right and before the fall, that, that they would do that. I'm like, oh, wow, you could find that? Why not use this book and then go research? Uh, but they don't. But he's despairing. And, and plus, it's a, a troublesome world. You know, it's a troublesome time. There's events going on that we don't have here. And this, you know, just reading through here, but, but, but stuff is happening. Um, earlier, you had a man named Jared. Um, I forgot to write down the verse. Jared, uh, verse 15. And Mahalalel, which is just fun to say. Mahalalel, I feel like I really know what I'm saying there. But Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. And Jared, his name means they shall come down. And many think that it's during Jared's lifetimes when these angels came down and then begin, you know, making himself seen on the earth. Things are happening with them. You know, it's during his time that this happened, to the point by the time you get to Enoch, God's like, I'm going to judge the world with the flood. Your boy's a time clock, Methuselah. His death shall bring. His, de- his, his boy, Lamech, is like, oh, the despairing. We're despairing. What's going on in the world in this time? Because now we have these uh, 
fallen angels that are down on the earth, they have an offspring that make giants, as we're going to see later in chapter 6. Uh, and these giants, that they get to where they're consuming everything. They are horrible um, to the point where they start to eat people. Cannibalism, vampirism, they drink blood. We have all these different things that come out of that that makes it dark and despairing. It would be a despairing time. I, I never lived with giants, you know, but uh, I have spent some time in the last two weeks going through old mythologies around the world. And you know what they all have it's com- in common? Giants, dragons. We, we, it's, it's a common link through all here, and yet we're like, that's the... That's silly that that's in there. But this is what the Bible says, and we either believe it or we don't. And I think we should believe it. But God's going to destroy the whole world with the flood because they are perverting the world. They are perverting the bloodline. Uh, they are mixing angelic kind, or sons of God kind, in with hum- humankind. And Jesus Christ is coming to redeem mankind. And so if we have a, a hybrid down here, then there's no redemption. Satan wins. You know, and so you can see the stratagem behind it. Um, but there's also comfort in it. And again, uh, with this genealogy we have in here, uh, encrypted in the text through their names, uh, a message of hope. Uh, and just to go through it again quickly, so you have Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan means sorrow, Mahalalel means the blessed God, things you're looking up, Jared Shall come down. They think that's when the angels came down. Enoch means teacher, teaching. He's the one who comes teaching and instructing. When my son dies, a judgment is coming. You need to be prepared. Uh, Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, the despairing. And then Noah, his name means comfort or rest. You know, he's, he's, the, he's the crescendo. So he put it all together and makes a sentence. Man is appointed moral sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. And so you have a Christian message uh, talking about the Christ that is hidden and embedded in a Jewish text that goes back before the flood. And I think, oh, well, that's divine. You know, that you'd have that in there. You have God doing that, manipulating these names to put it in such a way where you have that. And it's interesting in the Jewish culture, and we'll look at this later when we get um, uh, further down the line, but Noah plays way more important part in, in Jewish culture than, than we even think. I mean, he's important to ours, right? It's cool that he saves the world. He's a type. Who else saves the world? Jesus Christ, right? And so he's a type of Christ. He is seen as a hero like that. He is the Christ type of the Old Testament. He's the one who comes down and rescues the world. Not only just the world, but he takes all the animals. He takes everything to be able to deliver them safely on the other side. If we are in Christ, he takes us, he delivers us, he saves, delivers us safely into the new world where we live forever with him. The types and the shadows there are all over the place. It's to the point where the Jews believe that Jesus was born on the same birthday that Noah was. That they had the same birthday, that it was a, a type and a shadow to the point where like, oh, this is the day he is born. And, and the date that they th- say that it was, it wasn't December 25th. It's um, it more ominous, um, um, strange for you, for you and me. And then it's uh, September 11th. He was born on, uh, I think, September 11th. And that's, uh, through all the people I've seen studying, they think that that's probably Jesus' birthday. And there's a lot of other things going on with that date. There is no, it's not just circumstance that a judgment would come on that day. There's a lot of other things that happened, but, but Noah. But comfort and rest. Jesus Christ is our comfort. Jesus Christ is our rest. And there's a whole bunch of stuff um, tied up with Noah that we'll look at later. But, but Enoch is a, is a major player. Um, he's the first in a generation, uh, of four generations of preacher. He preaches. Methuselah preached you better repent. <laughs> I feel cold coming on. I don't know if he used that method or not, but I kind of would. <laughs> but um, but he, he preached. You know, um, His boy, Lamech, preached. 
His great-grandson, or his grandson, Noah, preached while he's building an ark. You know, not only did he preach, but he started building it. This was prepared. You need to be on the ark. If you want to be saved, you need to get on here. And so they were all preachers of an impending judgment. The world is going to be judged. The world is going to be judged. You need to get right. You know, and, yet, um, and, it, and it happened that way. Not only that, but Enoch was also looking forward to the second coming of Christ. He, he looks right past the first coming, although I think he makes references to it too. But he talks about the second coming when he comes down and he judges the world and things all start over. Of course, in his time, the world looks horrible. It's way worse than it is for you and I even now. We think, man, it's pretty bad now. But we don't have all this going on. I'd also have to say, or do we? We have a lot of strange stuff that's going on. A lot of strange stuff that is happening and beginning to happen, being more and more documented. I don't know if anybody else here... I know a few of you do look at Drudge, but Drudge is a, a place where he just put hyperlinks to stories around the world. But usually on his page two, page three, he's always referencing, or there's a lot of references that it comes up again and again and again about all the exorcisms that the Catholic Church tries to do to the point where we don't have enough exorcisms. There's all this demon stuff going on, and let alone all these people that are hearing voices and, and wanting to kill people. Um, one week I was talking about that, about the voices, and they want to kill people, and Levi's like, well, do you, how often do you guys get calls on that? Uh, Reach on and how old are all of them? Most of it's been young teens. Voices. Kill somebody. Going to kill somebody. We're going to kill a bunch of people. You know, that we're going to do this. And they're hearing voices telling them that. And that's, you know, it's, we can kind of see these patterns that come around. So it's, it seems like, you know, we think of the day of Christ. Uh, when he came, you had all these demon possessions. You had all this going on. But it was also, you know, uh, Satan's chance to try to stop him. Uh, what's he going to do towards the end time? I think we're going to see more of this activity, especially as... Uh, there's some deadlines on some stuff that, that we'll look at later. but uh, um, So there's just warnings that are going on. We're there. He's important. He's quoted by Jude. Um, the New Testament um, talks about him often, but we just don't see it. Because uh, we don't know Enoch. We don't know Enoch's teachings. And so we read it and we're just thinking, this is just the Bible talking about Bible stuff. But once you see it, you're like, Oh, it's there. He does make reference. They're making reference to it. And again, it's, um, oh, he uses speech patterns. Even if it's not like quoting it directly, they're, they're talking like him. And, and I'll give you some examples in a minute. But uh, um, <clears throat> these, uh, these angels that came down, again, that's a sloppy term. Um, they were a, a certain group. Uh, they think that they were called the Watchers. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, if we look there, that, that tells you that there, it mentions watchers. We looked at them before. They gave a decree. A lot of people stay away from that term because um, the extra-biblical book of Enoch mentions the watchers, and it tells all about what they were doing, but Daniel describes them too. Let me see, Daniel 4. And it mentions it several times. We'll just look at one, but Daniel... 4.13 says, I saw the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and holy one came down from heaven. Again, it's, this, it's in the realm of the spiritual beings, we have this one, this one group called watchers. Watcher here means they are watchful. It really kind of means awake. They are awake. They are aware. It's more of that. We, we kind of have a lot of times the same word is translated. Awake, awake, or be aware. You know, get, get up. You need to be sober. You need to be, see what's going on. They were wakeful one is another one of their terms. Guardians. They were like a, a guard who was on watch with his eyes open. You know, it was um, 
punishable by death by the Roman guard if they fell asleep on, on night watch. These guys are supposed to be angels with their eyes open watching. They're supposed to be watching what's going on. Uh, what are they all watching for? I don't know. But they are to be, they are to be watching. Um, I know that our deeds are all written in a book. Right? Because you get to Revelation, you get to the end, it says, open up, and there's the dead. And they're like, whose, whose name's written in the book of life? There's someone who records that. I don't picture God with doing that. I picture him probably having somebody in heaven who's his secretary or whatever. Write that down. So-and-so repented and trusted Christ today. And we even kind of have that in our drawings and then and the plays that we have. Someone's writing that down. They're putting a the book. Someone's watching this and, and recording it. God says it. Uh, Randy Alcorn, his books, he has one called Watcher and one that's called Writer. And you have these two angels that are working together and how fast they're writing everything in the world you know, as one re- reports all these things. Makes sense. We have another one. When the dead are judged, who's, who aren't covered under the righteousness, their deeds are judged. Someone's writing down everything they're doing. Send on this day. Send on this day. They did this. They did that. And, you know, they're, they're all judged in that way. There's a book that's open and read, and they can't argue against it on the day that they're sentenced to the second life. So is somebody watching, someone reporting, someone recording. Sure seems like that might be a job. Uh, maybe they're just watching. Like I said, I always kind of pictured them like a police force, just kind of safeguarding, making sure. And yet, these sin. Uh, go back to Genesis 6. Now that you found Daniel. <clears throat> and to think about it, like I said, when we left the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve leave. There's a cherubim that you could see. There's a flaming sword that's flying around, guarding and protecting the tree of life. Some fantastic stuff. Stuff that you and I don't see today. And then, obviously, there's some watchers. And during Jared's time, they come down. Maybe they weren't supposed to make themselves visible. Maybe they were always visible. I don't know, because... Adam and Eve could see them. The cherubim's there. And so, and part of my thinking in this, I have to flash forward. So you go to the millennial reign of Christ. The millennial reign of Christ, you have mortal people who have survived the tribulation, who've lived through it, and now they're going to populate the kingdom. They're going to have children, and their children are going to have children, and they're going to be the ones who populate the world. And yet, you and I will be there. And you and I won't die anymore. We're in our glorified bodies that have been transformed. We're going to be serving him, priests and kings, and whatever jobs he's given us during this time, um, during the millennial reign of earth, serving him in, this, in the hierarchical structure of subduing the earth in, in, in the king's employ as we're working for him. So you have mortals on the earth. Then I go walking by, and they're like, there's an immortal, which is kind of cool. You have to think about mortals and immortals together, and it makes you wonder. Well, they ask us, what was it like in your day? Like, this looks nothing like when I was here. You have no idea. What it was like. Think how, how we can paint a picture to a time where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on the earth. Well, when, when things grow up instantly, when the curse is not there anymore, where there's no longer war, we're like, there's a threat of war. We could tell them what war was like. We could tell them about watching bombs on TV. We could tell them about seeing roadkill on the side of the road. We can tell them about all kinds of stuff. They're going to be like, you lived in a gross, dark age. And we're going to be like, compared to what you have? Yes, we did. And so we'll be able to have that. And maybe we're supposed to give them, as priests, um, teach them and instruct them on, like, I can tell you what it was like, and you have a way better. Repent and trust in the king. Who, who knows? But we have that going on. During the tribulation, you have angels who come down and preach the gospel. They're seen on the earth again. Um, I don't think we have them as visible during our age because we have the Bible. But with the Jews, we had angels interacting with them. Once the church is gone and God's dealing with the, uh, the Jewish nation again, then we have angels interacting with them on the earth again. So I, I think that's some of it. Um, and so we have times on earth where we're going to have mortals and immortals that are intermixing together. We've seen it then. So maybe during this time we did. It was a transition time on how it was supposed to be. And so, so they were there. Yet, again, um, God is God. We aren't God. And his uh, sons of God, um, they had the potential to sin. 
He didn't make automatons who are just going to then uh, take the program that's been given to them and they're just going to act it out. They had free will. They were to freely um, serve him, and that meant they were free to make heirs, just like Adam and Eve did and we do. They had that opportunity, and <clears throat> I don't have those verses for you tonight, but we'll look at some that talk about in, the, in Job. They argue about the, the angels that were sinning and angels that failed. And if they failed, then surely mankind can fail, and, and mankind does fail. And so it's an, an argument there for that, that they knew that potential was there. But God liked, takes the risk with that potential. He wants those who serve him to serve him and be loyal to him. But there's the potential that some are going to go stray, And so some do. So in Genesis 6, so imagine, say this scenario is right, there are watchers, they're on the earth. Maybe they were invisible before, but now, you know, during Jared in that time, they make themselves visible. Uh, Genesis 6 verse 1 says, It came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. I say Jared's back a few generations. It said that the sons of God, that's this Benehoth Elohim, the sons of Elohim, uh, saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, all that they chose, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. If they think that that means you know, 120 years, I'm going to judge it. It says, And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Men of renown. Uh, these are a hybrid offspring. Um, again, an angel is a spiritual being that works and operates in different dimensions than you and I do. And so how does that, what happens to uh, their offspring uh, when it mixes with the mortal man? Apparently, it short wires and goes giant. I, it, that, I've, I've listened to a scientist go through and talk about the difference and, and dimensionality and what they think might have been and how this would then translate and it makes it bigger. Um, that's the way. It's not saying that the angels were giants. Angels look like men. It, remember the New Testament says, uh, don't you know that you entertain angels unaware that we could see an angel and it just looks like a guy? Uh, we're going to take some time in the future here looking at the different spirit beings that are in the heavenly realm uh, because <clears throat> the sons of God aren't described as having, having wings and, and, and halos in that way. They look like man. Uh, they get confused as men all the time. They pass themselves off as men, and so they, they can do that. And so um, it's these guys, their offspring become giants. Uh, again, uh, Levi and I were just talking about this. Uh, there's a few shows that are out researching the Giants stuff big time. And there's an island off uh, Italy. Remember the name of it? Something with a C. I want to say it was almost like Catalina, but it's not. Um, but there's still, in, in the early, or the late 1800s, early 1900s in the United States, we were finding giant bones left and right. We still find them, but again, Smithsonian comes in, takes them, and, and they're gone. That's, there's still reports of that. I've heard recent ones. But over there they take him, and it's the, usually the Catholic Church that comes in and, and confiscates him. But they're still finding him pretty readily on this island that, that there's a lot of them that are out there. We're talking 13 feet. You know, we're not talking, oh, a six foot four guy. You know, they're 13 feet. And again, and they've been in Indiana, and there's stories all the way back to even to some of the founding fathers, these giants, Lewis and Clark, watch out for the red haired giants. You know, these guys are, you know, stay away from them. You know, we have all this in our history, but we're told this is craziness, and so it gets weeded out of our histories as it's given to us because it points to the Bible as being right. Uh, and so uh, there is evidence of that, that they are there, and then they have these offspring, and they're always mean, and they're usually cannibalistic. Um, they teach that, they teach cannibalism, because they just have a ravenous appetite because they're so big. But um, 
And so, so we have these that are here. So they were watching. They become enamored with women. They cross a line. And um, they have these offspring. I guess think of it this way. When we take our children to school, we are trusting the teachers to be uh, watchful over them and not to harm them. But sometimes you get a bad teacher who crosses the line and they do something with a kid they shouldn't have done. You know, and so they were a watcher over these kids, and yet some of them violate that trust. God has put them down here as good angels, supposed to be serving him, and then they get wrapped up in what they're going on. And I'm pretty sure we're going to look at the numbers, 200. There was 200 of them that took a pact um, to violate this. Okay, Levi, you want to hit the lights and hit a slide? These slides aren't very exciting, they're words, but <laughs> no giant pictures tonight, but I do have some, but um, 200 watchers, so not all of them, and again, this is before we get to the nations, we'll look at the ones at the nations uh, when we get to there, and that's, Deuteronomy talks about that, but, but that, I'm trying to keep it in order here so we can throw it together, so there's like 200 of them, so let me uh, see where we are here, so there, very tiny words for you, uh, but uh, this is just... Showing that, how many times we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. About ten different times where Jesus Christ quotes Enoch, but quotes not the right word. He uses phraseology from the book of Enoch. And I'm talking the book of Enoch, it's an extra biblical book. It's a book that's not in the Bible. Um, it's called a pseudepigrapha. It's written, they don't think it's written by Enoch, it's written by someone else, but they ascribe it to Enoch because it tells about his life. Like First and Second Samuel. Samuel dies in 1 Samuel, yet we have two books named 1 and 2 Samuel. They're pseudepigraphal. They're titled after Samuel, even though they're not about him, just because he's a major player in it. And we have a few other instances like that. And again, that gets gobbledygook. But he references it, and it uses speech pattern. Enoch was a very popular book we're going to see during the New Testament period. It was was popular in the Old Testament time. And so it was a cultural reference point. Um, If I said, dynamite! You know, you know, you understand what I'm talking about. Well, at least those older ones, we know we're talking about good times, right? J.J., J.J. Walker, he would say that. That's a bad one. Um, uh, up your nose with a rubber hose. Uh, that's welcome back. Cotter, you know, it's a com- common phrase. I'm not saying Jesus used up your nose with a rubber hose, but he would use phraseology. Uh, Kawabunga, a little more recent for the Teenage Ninja Ninja Turtle guys. Uh, <clears throat> probably a more recent one that we do use more along this line would, uh, would be like this. With great power comes great responsibility. That's from Spider-Man. But we, we can convey truth with that. and We can use it to talk. You know, like, hey, you've got responsibility. And we use a quote from a movie. And we do it all the time. My family, we use one all the time. Um, when something's going wrong, we're like, call me mommy. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but to my family, uh, my son knows what movie I'm referencing. Rocket Man. It's a Disney movie. Silly movie. Wasn't very popular. Very popular in our family. And... Uh, the call me mommy reference is like someone gets trapped underneath a rock and the guy's like, a mom will always lift the car off, the car off his children. Call me mommy. And he's like, mommy, pick the car up. And, he's, ah. and it's a funny reference that we reference in our family all the time. But it's a, it's a movie reference that we use that means something to us because we had such a good time watching this movie. But we use it all the time. So um, since we all have the common experience of experiencing these movies, TV shows, if we say yada, 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 you're referencing Seinfeld. That comes from the Jewish term from Seinfeld. That means, yeah, same old, same old. You know, so so it, it works into our culture you know, because we've seen it in a TV show, read it in a book. You know, Catch-22 comes from a book, Catch-22, you know, that you're between a rock and a hard place. We use these phrases all the time. It does impact our culture. You know, you go a thousand years from now and you say Catch-22, or you know, probably even now, you'll be like, I don't know what you mean, or Cowabunga. You know, and so but it's kind of pop, pop culture references. So Christ kind of has that in there. Uh, they all read it. They all were aware of it. You could quote it, use phrases like it. Um, it's 
Not in the Bible. Well, it's still in the Ethiopian. It has always been in the Ethiopian Bible. And Ethiopia is the people that I think are guarding and protecting the Ark of the Covenant. I, I think that that's what the evidence points to. It's always been in their book, but it's not been in anybody else's. So I don't think it should be. I don't think we should have it in here. But it does give you some uh, an insight to the culture, to what they are thinking, to what they are saying, that unlocks some of the trickier passages in the New Testament we're going to see when we get there. We're going to like, oh, this really makes this to make sense. I read Josephus. Not for fun, but I go when I go back there because he's he wrote um, just shortly after the death of Christ and the resurrection, and he wrote about their times and how they interpreted these things, and he tells us what they think, and so it becomes a book to help me. Like, oh, what did the average Jew think? Josephus tells me, and so I read it in that way. Enoch does the same thing. And it does, like I said, it doesn't need to be in the Bible, and I don't think it should be, uh, but it, I think it should be studied um, again, not on par with the Bible. Um, but it gives you a framework of mind on what they are talking about, um, how they thought. And, and, and when the Bible does reference it or makes mention to it, the Bible's giving the important stuff. It's like, and now we're going to make a reference to this. Here's what's important and what we, ought to, uh, what we ought to think about, not necessarily everything else that's going on in the book of Enoch. There's a lot of interesting things in there, but you know, the Bible kind of hits the highlights for us, and I think the other's in there to give you more history. Um, but the Bible hits the main things. Slide two. Um, here it is even tinier. It looked big on my computer. I'm like, it'll be on the big screen. But now this is um, Jude 1 through 14. Um, it's the quote. I mean, it's the one time it's directly quoted. In Jude 14, 15, Jude directly quotes Enoch. And Enoch, will, you know, that the Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints. There we go. Uh, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied these things, saying, Behold, the Lord will come uh, with ten thousand of his saints. Uh, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all their ungodly men of them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed uh, of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He is quoting from the book One Enoch there. And there's, I think there's six books of Enoch, but we're talking about First Enoch uh, in this reference. Um, uh, next slide. Jesus does use it in the argument, and I remember studying this in school because we're like, Jesus makes the, the, the uh, Pharisees up here are making reference to something that I don't know what they're talking about. If I'd read the book of Enoch, I would know what he's talking about, and Jesus does. It says, The same day the Sadducees, um, who say there was no resurrection, came to him with a question, saying, Teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and rise up offspring from him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the, uh, and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now they're quoting, not necessarily Enoch there, but quoting another book that was popular during their time, I believe. Uh, but Jesus is going to make a reference to Enoch to give him some understanding, because it's something that they had all heard taught and heard said. And he says, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read... Uh, what God says to you, I am God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. I've done a lesson on that one. This back half, he is referencing Abraham. He's reckoning Isaac and Jacob. These guys are alive. They're still alive. He's making reference to that. He says, God is the God of the living, not the dead. You know, so they're not, these who've gone on before us aren't dead. They're alive in another place. But the first half here about the angels and the angels in heaven and who marry and don't marry, he's, he's referencing Enoch. He calls it scripture. That's, that's the argument that this guy makes in here. He's like, hey, he calls this scripture. 
I don't know that it is scripture. You know, again, it's not in the Bible or it would be, but we do have it. We have access to it. But it does give important, but he has given an insight. And here he's talking about angels in heaven, and we're all kind of like, where's that coming from? But he's referencing something that talks about the angels in heaven and what they were doing sex-wise uh, that, that, that brings all this up. And so he, he's making reference to a book that they're all like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And we're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Because we hadn't read any, because it's not in our Bible, which, again, I don't think it should be. But if we read it, it does uh, make things make more sense. Again, in the Bible class, we went through that. And he's like, oh, it's these other books you probably ought to read sometime. He didn't emphasize it as much as I think he should have. Uh, the next one. Here's the first line, if you can zoom in just a little bit. Yeah. The first line of the book of Enoch. <clears throat> the words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and the righteous, who will be living in the day of the tribulation, when the wicked and the godless are to be removed. And again, when I look at the book of Enoch, it's translated all kinds of ways too. You know, there's kind of like the, the King James Version, and there's kind of like the NIV Version or the ESV Version, so it puts it in different wording. Um, this one says, I think, the times of trouble. Is that what it said? We're living in the... Where with you blessed? The t- oh, no, it does say tribulation. Some of them say in the times of trouble. This one definitely says in the time of tribulation. Sometimes they say it's, uh, he's rejecting the ungodly and the wicked. Other times it's like, no, he's getting rid of the godless and, and the wicked. And so he's talking about the end of the world when things are going to be purged, it's going to be done, and we're going to set up the millennial reign. He says, I've written this book for those of you in that last time. Uh, this book was widely made available to us again at the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were found in 1946. Uh, a year after World War II concluded. Many think that that's not an accident. Whenever the world does something wicked to the Jews, it's been termed the cosmic, the cosmic chess match. Satan will make a move, God will make a bigger move. Oh, you're going to try to wipe out the Jews, are you? Here's a whole bunch of Jewish books. I'll unlock them and let people be able to go back and read and understand more than before, a year later. And so now we have access to these. To put you... And, and the framework of how important this book was, that Brian's not just blowing smoke, you know, that, that, I, that, that this was an important book. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, where they had found all these copies, again, it was a cave, a little shepherd guy was up there messing around, he threw a rock in, he heard something break, sound like a jar. So they go in, and there's all these jars that this group of Jews called the Essenes, they were during Jesus' time too, but they all kind of hid out in a commune. We're not to be in a commune. He makes reference to that. He says, you're to be in the world, not of it. Don't go hide someplace and, and live your Christian life. You know, you know, oh, but it's safe here in our little thing where it's just us four and no more no we're to be in the world preaching the gospel but they went up there they copied scriptures they put them in these jars and because of the climate and all that they put them in there and it's lasted and they lasted till 1946 and someone finds them they found 39 copies of the book of psalms so that's the most that they found of any book 39 they found 33 copies of the book of deuteronomy you know so as they were copying this this is what survived so the top two psalms deuteronomy they found 25 copies of First Enoch. It's number three on the list. You know, that's how important it was to them. Uh, the next one was Genesis, 24 copies. They found more copies of Enoch than they did Genesis. Isaiah, one of the most complete books that they found, and it's literally, I think they said four words different than our English reading Bible today, and it was like the and four. You know, there's no changing to it whatsoever. It, it validates God's word has endured. They found 22 copies of it. 21 copies of the book of Jubilees. Uh, you won't find that in your Bible. <laughs> because it's another book that they had. But you will find that the Bible endorses it. It says, are these not written in the book of Jubilees? And then, so it's a biblically endorsed extra biblical text. The Bible says, hey, go read this. It's going to tell you some information. It's not Bible, but it'll tell you about history and what's going on. Um, went on down, there's another book in there called the Book of the Giants that talks about all the giants and what's going on and all these things and a few other um, different odd books that we don't 
didn't have before. And and now we have all these books about all these weird subjects. They're like, where? That's what the Jews thought back then? And they did. And yet the Essenes put a high importance on it. They put it over Genesis and Isaiah, two major books. They said, Book of Enoch, man, we've got to get copies of this. We can't let this rot and go bad. People need to know what it's saying. So, so it should probably be emphasized probably more than we do. Um, next one. Here's uh, the Book of Enoch. It's the exact, it's the quote from Jude. We don't have to read it again, but again, ungodliness, which they have lived ungodly committed and had ungodly sinners, had spoken against him. It's just, that's the quote where it comes from. I thought I'd put it in there. It's, that's right from, from Enoch. Uh, the next one. This is uh, Enoch 6, which is parallels to our Genesis 6. And it came to pass that when the men had multiplied in the days, they were bo- uh, and those days were, were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them and said one to another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and begat us children. Their whole point was they wanted offspring. You and I could do something the angels couldn't do. They didn't have kids. We've got to have kids. And they're like, I want a kid. And so it became something that they wanted. And Sam Jez, that's this guy here, uh, who was their leader, uh, said unto them, I fear you will not indeed agree to this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of the great sin. He's like, hey, if we do this, there's gonna, God's going to, I'm the leader, I'm going to take all the brunt for this. If you guys start messing with earth women, you know, says, I'm going to be the one who gets in trouble. Uh, um, I alone shall pay the penalty of this sin. And they answered, they said unto him, let us all swear an oath. And all bind ourselves in the mutual imprecations, uh, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then they swear that they all together bound themselves by mutual implications, um, that, we, that were in all 200, and they were descended of the days of Jared. Ah, there's my, I hadn't even read that close. So the days of Jared, they came down on the summit of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's going to be a player. It's, Jesus does some important stuff on Mount Hermon, but we're like, we don't know what mountain it's on. Uh, but now once you know what it is, you're like, oh, why is he doing it here? Again, he's battling some of this history that was important to all of them that you and I don't get, but now we get because Enoch wrote a book to those people during the last days. And so, uh, but some, thank you, Mount Hermon. <laughs> thank you, little finger. <laughs> it says, and they call it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual implications upon it. These are the names of the leaders. Uh, Sam Jez, their leader, Arakabah, Ramalel, Kokobel, Tamiel, Ramiel, Daniel, I'm not making them all rhyme. Ezekiel, Bacquiel, Aziel, we're going to see him later. Amaraz, Beltrel, Anel, I can't read that one. Uh, Samsuel, a bunch of angel sounding names. And these are the chief of ten. So you have this many who are under ten, it equals 200. But you've got different angel names. You know, we'd only had so many angels listed before. So, so they're there. Um, run out of time, so I'm going to speed this up a little bit. But, uh, okay, what's the next one, Lena? Um, so, uh, uh, this is where they come together, and the angels, they begin to go unto them, and they also begin to teach them, they teach mankind technology that we wouldn't have if, if the angels, maybe we'd have got it later, but teacher, they taught them charms, enchantments, cutting of roots, and made them antiquated, uh, or acquainted uh, with plants, antiquated, made them acquainted with plants, and they became pregnant, and they bare great giants whose height were 3,000 something L's, uh, who were consumed. Uh, they consumed everything that man made, basically, and the man could no longer sustain them. The giants uh, turned against them and devoured mankind, so they became cannibalistic. Uh, when the spies went into Jericho, or into the promised land, they're like, uh, the, the, the inhabitants of the land eat us up. That's a King James way of saying, they're cannibals, they're going to eat us all. And these guys were, they were cannibals. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. That's uh, uh, English poetry that comes down that talk about giants eating people. 
Um, they sinned against birds, beasts, reptiles, fish, uh, devour one another's flesh, and drink the blood. Uh, again, vampirism starts with them. And then the earth-laid acquisition against these lawless ones. So they come, they teach technology. They teach astrology. They teach the cutting of roots and all that. It's, it's basically sorcery in that that's teaching them pharmacia, drug use. Uh, to use these drugs to open them up to call spirit beings down into them. Uh, scopolamine is a drug that we used to do that they, uh, we use today. Usually it's like in your motion sickness drugs that opens you up for demon possession. There's some horrible stories that you can read about that. But this is some of the bad things that they did, and we'll look at this more later. Verse next one. Uh, next slide. Oh, sorry. Uh, and Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates. He made unto them uh, the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antonomy and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and, and coloring tinctures. And so he teaches them how to make up their face. And, and, the, and the, the problem they get with that is that you're altering what God made. He is saying, it's not good enough. Make yourself this way and, and trying to allure and, and bring up lust. But he, he teaches sword and knives and war and all this stuff. And he's going to be held highly accountable, Azazel is. And you're thinking like, we never heard this before. It's because the King James Version especially takes and changes his name. We're out of time. now. We'll pick up with him next week. Um, but in Leviticus 16, he is mentioned. Leviticus 16, 8, he's mentioned three or four times. He was part with a major, cult, a major thing on the Jewish day of the Day of Atonement. He plays a part in it, not because he is good. He is an example of the bad. Um, but the Bible calls him, well, in the English version, again, it's because we're reading a translation, it calls him scapegoat, uses his name scapegoat. Uh, the newer translations, like ESV, call him Azazel. And just as a quick reference before I leave you, is that you know, they would put their, uh, they'd have two goats, and they would cast lots, and the one would come out, and the white stone was for the Lord, and that would be sacrificed and for a sin punishment, and the other one was to be the scapegoat, or it was for Azazel. Uh, we'll, look, we'll pick up here next week and see what happens to him. But is to be led away by a strong man into the wilderness, pushed off into this pit, never to return anymore. It, it's not like a sacrifice to him. It is showing us what happened to him uh, is gone with our sin. All sin is taken away from the camp. All sin is put down far. All sin is done down deep, never to return anymore if we repent and trust in him. Or if you're wicked, you go the way of Azazel and you're going to be thrown where he is. Um, and it basically says you're going to throw him in a deep hole with sharp rocks that are pointing on him where he never sees the light of day. And we'll, we'll pick up there next week because it, that plays a big importance and some stuff that happens in the New Testament later. But again, <clears throat> the New Testament covers these things, but within the context of having read this, and you can find a copy of the book of Enoch several different places online. Just type one Enoch. You want to read the first Enoch. It's not super hard to read. It's not quite like what we're used to, but it, uh, it would give you some of the stories. And you only have to read probably the first 20 chapters, and you'll get most of what we need, because uh, then he gets all, he travels around, sees all kinds of strange stuff that doesn't um, uh, have implications as much on what's going on in the Bible as do these first chapters with the sins of the angels that are going to be referenced to in Jude, in Peter, uh, in Genesis. We're going to see it referenced again and again in, in some of the other Old Testament books too. Uh, the whole deal of what Jesus is going on as he's doing spiritual battles with the well, Mount of Transfiguration and other places of what's happening. And so it kind of gives you some insight to what's happening. So, uh, again, don't replace your Bible study with it. But it's an interesting read to open you up to understand a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. It's even going to tell us where demons come from. We'll pick up that next week. And uh, like I said, there's verses that 
get to the same conclusions. It's just a lot easier and it comes right out. And here's why they're there versus having to hem-haul around and find all these other things. Although it was fun finding all the other things that point to the same thing. But we'll look at that next week. Where demons come from? Well, no, next week we'll have singing. So two weeks from now we'll have that. And then we'll pick up here singing and soup afterwards and bread and some Virginia salad. And so <laughs> come soups and sandwiches afterwards. And so remember that next week. And again, it's a love offering. So bring a little bit to, to, to thank him too. But appreciate you being here. Hopefully that whets your appetite enough to say, hmm, and to look into some of this and uh, and see what's going on. And it's some... some strange to our ears because it's one that we are normally avoided because pastors like to keep their jobs and so they don't talk about these things because that, that's honest to truth why is there yeah and there i just got trump on the back row he just you're fired <laughs> so thank you uh, let's close in prayer